Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. One of the biggest tips that our guest shares today is what we eat for breakfast can change the course of our day. It can make day a little bit crazy and lead to hanger and cravings and crashes, or it can make you feel great. So breakfast truly is the most important meal of the day, and we get into it in this episode. I've definitely noticed that myself, Yasmin, especially after this interview that we have with Jesse, I was like, okay, first thing in the morning, I'm going to eat a blood sugar balancing meal and see how that impacts the rest of my day. And I swear to God, it works like a miracle. This morning, I had a piece of grain-free avocado toast with the fried egg on top. Yum. Yeah, it was delicious uh, before I even had my coffee. And I felt so balanced. I felt energized. I wasn't snacking in between breakfast and lunch. I just felt really good. I'm in the middle of a move right now, so I need a lot of energy and Mm -hmm. I feel great. And I don't have those crazy cravings that come around in the afternoon or the need for having afternoon caffeine, which has been kind of sneaking into my life. Have you noticed something similar for yourself? Oh my gosh. I swear managing my blood sugar has been the biggest unlocking for me to just be effective as a person, to be happier, to be a leader. And like you said, I think the best part of it is I'm always thinking like, how can I sustain my energy throughout the day? Right? Because we're all doing stuff. I know Kaya, like we're always reviewing things by like 3 p.m. Sometimes if I'm not eating like the proper meal, I'm like, I'm just brain dead. I like can't make decisions. Like I have decision fatigue. Um, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit on the couch. And when I realized having, you know, breakfast was game changing. Exactly what you experienced for me. It was such an unlocking because for so long I didn't have breakfast. And I was like, oh my gosh, my brain works and I'm in a better mood and I can get so much done. And like, who is this person? But the other unlocking was, I know I was telling you this before we were recording is I realized, and I was wearing a glucose monitor, but we talk about today why that's not always necessary. But I was wearing one. I was wearing a Levels. And I love fruit. I know, Kaya, you call me the fruit monster. I just love it. And I used to snack on it all the time, right? Again, I wasn't eating the proper meal. So I was snacking more. That's something that you talked about um, earlier. But I realized there was one time I was having maybe like a handful of cherries on an empty stomach. Probably it was like after lunch, a few hours later before dinner. And I remember being like, why am I so exhausted? I was feeling so good afterwards. And my husband, Drew, was like, why don't you check Levels? like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, let me check this glucose monitor. And literally I had the biggest spike. And I know this sounds so simple, but ever since then, it just hit me like, oh wow, when I'm eating certain foods, yeah, it's fruit. There's just so much sugar by itself. I'm immediately feeling exhausted. That's like what you call a glucose spike. Why we should even care about glucose. Anyways, these little hacks, which we talk all about today has been life-changing for both of us. So this was a really fun one, I think for Kay and I to do. Totally. And what you'll gain from this episode is that, you know, for example, example, in Yasmin's situation, she doesn't have to give up fruit. Or for me, I really like having pasta occasionally, or I like Mm -hmm. having bread occasionally. You don't have to give up these things necessarily. There are hacks and ways to balance your meals so that you can have these quote unquote pleasure foods and not have crazy blood glucose spikes or roller coasters. So we have on today's episode, Jessie in Chouspe. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, aka the glucose goddess herself. I'm sure many of you have seen her Instagram. It's blowing up like crazy. She has tons of amazing tips. She's on a mission to translate cutting edge science into easy tips to help people improve their physical and mental health. She is the founder of the wildly popular Instagram account, Glucose Goddess, as I mentioned, where she teaches life-changing food habits to hundreds and thousands of people. She holds a bachelor's degree in mathematics from King's College London and a master's degree in biochemistry from Georgetown University. Her work at a genetic analysis startup company made her real that as the key to good health, food habits beat genetics. In her first book, Glucose Revolution, Jessie shares her startling discovery about the essential role of blood sugar in every aspect of our lives from craving to fertility and the surprising hacks to optimize it while still eating all the foods we love. Don't roll your eyes or gloss over at the idea of blood sugar. It's actually super interesting. It impacts everything from how we age to our skin health to our digestive health.
ourselves, to how we feel, how energized we are, how we can show up in the world. It's so, so important. And we talk all about it today. We also talk about her new cookbook, which is out right now. And it has tons of glucose friendly recipes. I tried out her avocado toast in there. Lots of good stuff. So you're going to hear all about that in today's interview. So let's get into it. One third of Americans have prediabetes and 88% of us are metabolically unhealthy, but still a lot of people think that glucose, blood sugar, and insulin has nothing to do with them unless they're diabetic or pre-diabetic. But this is actually something that affects a lot of people. So in layman's terms, what is glucose and why the heck should we care? So glucose is your body's favorite source of energy. So every single cell in your body uses it for energy. So right now, all of our brain cells are using glucose to think and chat and have this conversation. And as you're listening to this episode, dear listener, your brain is using glucose to listen and understand. Our heart cells use glucose to pump blood in our body. Glucose is really important. Every single part of your body uses it. And as human beings, the main way that we give this very important energy to our body is by eating foods specifically by eating two types of foods. So I, I like to categorize them into starches. So that's like pasta, rice, potatoes, etc., and sugars. So anything that tastes sweet from an apple to your favorite chocolate cake. Okay. And so if glucose gives our body energy, you might think that because you want to have as much energy as possible, you should just eat as many starchy and sweet foods as possible. That's kind of, it sounds logical, right? <laughs> well, actually, that's not the case. That's where the everything breaks down. I like to take the, the example of a houseplant. Do any of you have any houseplants? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know to give the houseplants some water so that they live and survive. But if you give the houseplants too much water, like I always do, the houseplant dies. <laughs> and so... The human body is similar in the sense that some glucose is amazing, it's beneficial, it's wonderful. Too much glucose and problems start happening. And Kaya, you were saying, you know, there's so many people in the U.S. that have prediabetes, 88% are metabolically unhealthy. And actually, the statistic goes even further. One billion people in the world right now have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. And so when we give too much glucose to our body... Of course, long-term, you can get diabetes. That is the most common symptom. But also, short-term, even if you don't have diabetes, science is now showing us that having too much glucose in our body leads to cravings, brain fog, fatigue, hormonal imbalances, trouble sleeping, skin problems, faster aging, more inflammation. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so if today you're somebody who does not have prediabetes, you don't have type 2 diabetes, the reason you should care is twofold. First, for all the symptoms I just mentioned, because you might want to get rid of those. And second, just simply because you don't want to develop prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. And so prevention is a big part of this as well, in addition to helping us feel much better today. You know, I'm curious, Jesse, you mentioned this term, and I definitely was one of these people, high-functioning glucose person. I think a lot of us might, who are listening might resonate with this, but what does that person look like? Because you talked about the importance of glucose and at a high level, the symptoms of what you might feel if it's out of whack, but what is a high-functioning glu uh, glucose person? <laughs> glucose spiker. <laughs> so the idea is that most of us are experiencing what's called glucose spikes on a daily basis. And these spikes are simply when after a meal or during a meal, we have given too much glucose to our body too quickly. And so the concentration, the amount of glucose in your body increases really quickly. And that is seen as a glucose spike. Okay. You can, you can observe it in the blood, for example. And so these spikes carry with them consequences. Most of us are having these glucose spikes every day, yet, and this is where it gets crazy, we believe that how we're feeling, the symptoms we're feeling every day are just who we are. We don't even understand that they're coming from these spikes. For example, you might be somebody who says that you get hangry, okay? When you're hungry, you're really angry, or you're somebody who is addicted to sugar, or you're somebody who's just chronically fatigued or you're somebody who sleeps poorly, you're somebody who has hormones that are out of whack, and the list goes on and on and on. What we're understanding now is that these spikes can create such common symptoms in us. And when we learn to reduce the spikes and balance them, the symptoms go away. So to me, being a high-functioning glucose spiker is just somebody who's going through life with these, with these glucose spikes, 
but sort of self-soothing with coffee and sugar and all these things. So functioning, right? I mean, I used to be that person. You're functioning, but you're not really thriving. You're, you want to eat sugar all the time. You need to drink coffee all, all day. So you're, you're functioning, but on the inside, a lot of glucose spikes are happening. And your life would be so much easier if you just were off that glucose roller coaster. A hundred percent. I think both Yasmin and I know the feeling of like, oh, okay, I've, I have balanced blood sugar versus like I skipped a meal. I just drank coffee. I might've eaten something starchy or whatever it is. You mentioned aging. And I think that this is something we took, we took a poll recently with our audience and said, what's a health topic you care a lot about? And pretty much mostly everyone said skin health, because I think it's, you can see, right. You can see the effects you're seeing it daily versus like you can't see inside your body all the time. So what is the connection between chronically elevated glucose and something like acne? Mm. So you remember I explained the concept of these spikes. So when our, our glucose levels increase really quickly in our body and then they go back down, well, those spikes, one of the consequences they have is they increase inflammation in the body. And inflammation is basically your body just going on high alert and your immune system going like, oh, something's wrong, something's wrong. So inflammation impacts the skin as well. And if you have a lot of inflammation in your body, you might see it on your skin as acne, rosacea, psoriasis, eczema. Your skin is a messenger for what's going on underneath. And that's one of the things that got so much better after I learned to balance my glucose levels. I got into it because of mental health that I wanted to fix. But then I was like, oh, wow, my skin looks so much better because it turns out those spikes have a really damaging effect on your skin. And I will add something. It's not just the inflammation process that is interesting. Glucose spikes also accelerate aging by a process called glycation. So if you put a piece of bread in the toaster or if you put a chicken in the oven, they go from being you know, white to being brown or black. or And in that process, they cook. That process, why that happens, why they go from white to brown is because they get glycated. And inside the human body, from the moment we're born, we slowly cook, we slowly glycate. I know this sounds weird, but it's an actual biological process that happens. And you can't stop glycation. We all glycate all the time, but you can speed it up or slow it down. And the more glycated you are and the faster glycation happens, the faster you're aging. They're kind of the same thing. And that shows on your skin as well. So the faster you glycate, the more you get wrinkles on your skin as your molecules of collagen glycate and get damaged. So for skin health, whether, whether it's reducing inflammation, whether it's preventing aging, slowing down aging, learning to balance your glucose spikes is a really good place to start. It's really fundamental. You can put all the creams you want on your face. If you have all these spikes going on within that are causing inflammation from the inside, it's going to be really hard to make them go away. Absolutely. You know, I have dealt with a lot of skin issues in the past and I have scarring. And the craziest thing is that when I am eating a diet, like I'm, I'm on vacation, I'm just eating a lot of starch, I'm eating a lot of sugar, I'm just around my daughter a lot, eating her food, whatever it is, I actually notice my scar, my acne scars are worse. It's crazy. Like I can feel like my pores are bigger, my scars are worse. And then when I'm eating it, it totally. So it's really cool. I think a lot of people, if you're listening to this, just try experimenting with some of the things that Jesse's saying, and you can probably see very quickly how your skin will reflect in those things. Absolutely. And first your mood gets better. You have more energy for your cravings. And then after a little while, the, the long-term things start setting in, like improved skin, balanced hormones. It's, it's really wonderful. Yeah. And Jesse, you mentioned briefly, you know, your own journey of dealing with mental health and that kind of opened the door of what glucose is and your journey in this field. Can you maybe share with our audience who might not know you as well, kind of your backstory and what you were going through? Yeah, absolutely. So my interest in health began when I was 19. I had a terrible, terrible accident. I broke my back jumping off a waterfall. Yeah. Uh, and had very intense surgery. I have a lot of metal in my spine now. Physically, I was fine after a few months because I was 19. And when you're young, your body recovers. But then I started developing all these mental health issues, depression, anxiety, could never be alone. I was terrified of just living like my brain was broken, proper broken. And so I was sitting there completely lost. Um, and I thought to myself, wow, well, my health is the most important thing in my life. I need to fix it. 
and that's when the journey began. So I studied biochemistry in grad school. Then I worked in genetics, genetics for five years in Silicon Valley to try to just understand what was going on and how this machine worked. And then while I was there, while I was in Silicon Valley, I came across glucose and I, I was able to put on a glucose monitor and sort of start understanding this molecule. And I saw something really striking, which is that the days where I had the most glucose spikes or more glucose spikes, my mental health was worse. And the days when my glucose levels were steady, I felt better. And now it might sound really obvious, but to me, it was the first time in 10 years that I had gotten any clue about how to help myself. So that's when the, the passion began. And it's really empowering and to know that you have the tools within you to impact, you know, outside of everything you're saying, your mental health, because that's something I see directly. And I'll be out with friends, you know, grabbing lunch or dinner, and I'm very cognizant about what I'm eating, food order, which we'll talk about soon, because I know I feel better and more clear. And people are like, just eat the sugar. And I was like, I actually don't like the way I feel. I feel more anxious. I feel like I'm not as clear. And like for me to show up running via and doing all the fun things we get to do, like I need to show up as my best self. So managing my blood sugar outside of like helping me manage hormones and acne, the mental health piece is huge. And one thing that really changed my life also is shifting my breakfast. And I know you talk a lot about this and I'm very passionate, but tell me more about why breakfast is the most important meal of the day and maybe what people are doing completely wrong when it comes to breakfast. Yeah, I was going to say, Yasmin, as you were speaking, that today you would have to pay me a lot of money for me to yeah. eat a sweet breakfast. I'm like... Yeah. Roll out the millions. Exactly, because you just feel now. You, now I understand that changing my breakfast from a breakfast that creates the big glucose spike to a breakfast that keeps my glucose level steady has such a massive effect on how I feel throughout the day, how performant, how performant I am, how much I'm able to do what I really want to do instead of being controlled by all these symptoms. I can actually, as you say, be my best self. I can go after my passions more. I feel so much more empowered in my life. It's really cool. So you were asking about breakfast. Sorry, I got into a tangent. You want me to explain breakfast, right? <laughs> I was like living my best life. Yeah, it's true. It's, and it's possible for anyone listening. <laughs> yes. So the tenets of a breakfast that keeps your glucose level steady and so helps you live your best life are very simple. First, you want to build it around protein. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, chug raw eggs. You can, of course, have some eggs. You can have them raw or cooked, whatever you like. But, you know, protein can also come from protein powder, from nuts, from leftovers from last night's dinner. Maybe you had some fish you want to have some more in the morning. Then you want to add a little bit of healthy fat. And if you can, some fiber from veggies, but you don't really have to. And then importantly, two things. Starches like bread can totally be there, but for taste or oats, right? They can be there, but for taste. So they can't be the centerpiece of your breakfast because they turn to glucose. And second important point is that for a savory breakfast, you should have nothing sweet, except if you really want it, some whole fruit or some stevia in your coffee, if you're really into that sweet taste. And if you do that, you're going to set yourself up with steady glucose, steady energy, no dysregulation of hunger hormones, no creation of cravings or an addiction roller coaster. Many of us wonder why at 3 p.m. we're craving sugar. Look at your breakfast. Your breakfast was starting the roller coaster. And then all day, you just want to eat more sugary foods. So this to me is really the most important place to start. And if you still want to eat sweet foods, it's fine, but it's better to do it after lunch or after dinner as dessert. That's going to reduce the spike of the food. And this shift is actually relatively easy. Once you find a couple of recipes you like, and I have a bunch of recipes um, for people who, who need recipes and ideas. But once you find a few recipes you like, you can just keep rotating them. And also, if you don't eat breakfast, for those of us who do intermittent fasting, that's totally fine. Whatever time of the day your first meal is, whether it's 6 a.m. or 2 p.m., make sure it's savory. The same concept applies. And are you noticing, because we talk to a lot of people who have coffee in the morning, and then they don't have any food until maybe 11, 12 o'clock. 
what have you noticed in terms of glucose at that point? Is coffee on, in the morning on an empty stomach and then not eating until later? Because we also work with a lot of women in their reproductive years who are dealing with hormonal challenges. Is there any patterns that you've noticed there? Well, listen, it depends. It, it, this pattern of eating, I'm familiar with it. Sometimes I want to do that because it just feels nice. If it feels good to your body and it doesn't feel, feel stressful, that's fine. But we have to remember that not eating fasting for a long time, having coffee, which is also a stressor and a stimulant, can add up to being a lot of stress on the body. So just take a little survey of your life and count the different stressors. Okay, if you're fasting every day, if you're drinking coffee every day, if you're exercising intensely, if you're taking a cold shower, if you're doing a sauna, if you have a stressful job, if you have to take care of your kids, like add those stressors up and on a female body, that can be a lot of stressors and that can impact the hormonal system. So if your hormones are fine and you don't have any issues there, then maybe you're fine. But if you're, if you're feeling that your period is out of whack, your menopause symptoms are difficult, if you're just feeling exhausted all the time, maybe reduce one of the stressors and try to, you know, give your body a little break. So doing this pattern can be fine, but it's also not necessary in order to be in, a, in good health, in order to have a healthy body has to be used with with um, intention and awareness. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. Jesse, you know, it's so interesting. You're talking about all these stressors and I heard you in, in another interview say, you know, even outside of glucose, it's so important for us to also think about the foundation that we have. Can you talk about some of those simple foundation, foundational, I don't know what the right word is, characteristics that we should all really be mindful of in addition to glucose, which might be like layer two? Yeah. I kind of see it the other way. I think, I mean, it depends. You can argue layer one, layer two. For me, I think glucose is still layer one. It's like your food is still layer one. You need to fix that because if you're spiking all day, like most of us are, it's going to be really hard to layer stuff on. I would say there are other things that are really key. Like, for example, we can't neglect sleep, medical care if we have a medical condition, human connection, you know, doing something we love a little bit every day. Uh, just being grateful. I mean, exercising, right? It's, it's uh, Max Lugavere says this wonderful sentence. He says, don't minor in the majors. You know, you can take whatever pill you want. You can do whatever weird biohacking thing you want to do. But if you're, if you're majors, if those key things, if your food is out of whack, if you're not exercising and if you're not sleeping, I know it's boring, but that's kind of the place you got to start. <laughs> We all want the magic pill, but um, truly, those are the easy things. And I think on the topic of food, often we we actually live in the wellness world right now where things are very extreme and it's like, never eat this again, never eat that again, be fully vegan, be fully carnivore, like do all this fasting, etc. And I think we're being swung around a bit too much. And I hope that with this science that I'm sharing about glucose and these fundamental principles about how our body works, we can all find a little bit of balance and a little bit of sanity and just say, okay, let's go back to the molecules. Let's just understand what our body, how, how food impacts our body. Simple baseline principles, savory breakfast, move after your meals, have veggies first if you can, no sugar on an empty stomach. Those are, those are whatever your diet is, those remain very important. Absolutely. And I think that's what resonated about your content so much. I remember I was showing your my sister your posts and we immediately were like, 
this is a voice that's missing because a a lot of people in this space are men no hate to the men i work for mark hyman i get it like they're men but they don't understand the way that women eat the way that we find joy and pleasure in food men are just different my husband is like he doesn't care to go to restaurants and have fabulous things like that's just not in him but that's in me it's in my sister and i think there is so many experts who live in extremes. So there's anti-diet culture. And then there's like, you can't have sugar, you can't have starch. And realistically, like nobody lives that way. Like very, very few people do. And we're all kind of in the middle. So can you talk about why that was so important for you? Like, we still want to be able to have our pasta. We still want to be able to have these things, not all the time, but we want to be able to enjoy them. I think so when I when I first discovered this whole thing about the spikes making my mental health worse, I was exactly in the situation you're describing, which is I didn't want to give up my pasta. I didn't want to do an extreme diet that sounded like more stress. I just wanted to find some actual like common sense principles that could help me. And so this whole this whole project and all, all this content came out of just my own um, journey and finding something that made sense for me that was not an extreme tribe because I love pasta. I just had pasta before this call. I love chocolate cake. I don't want to go on a diet. Like I grew up, you know, surround in France, surrounded by diet culture. And I just, I, I'm just over that. I just want common sense stuff that is going to help me feel good and heal my relationship to food. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think this, this science was really needed and I'm so happy to be able to share it because it's so healing it's so healing and my I, I receive a lot of wonderful messages every day but one of the, my favorite ones to receive are people who tell me they've healed their fear of food they're no longer scared of carbs because you don't have to give up anything you don't have to cut out food groups if you just learn these principles actually things fall back into balance quite easily so yeah no i appreciate your kind words and uh, i'm very proud of of the work i'm doing and it's um yeah, it's great. Thank you. It's amazing. So let's talk about some of these other hacks, actually, because they can help us if we want to have that pasta. Um, let's talk about vinegar. What is the importance of vinegar? What can it do to our glucose? So I had a vinegar drink before I had my pasta and I have I had a veggie starter. We'll talk about it. Um, so vinegar is very interesting. Vinegar contains a molecule called acetic acid, and this molecule is very cool. And a lot of scientific studies and clinical trials show us that when we have one tablespoon of vinegar in a big glass of water before a meal, we can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by 30% without changing what we're eating, how much pasta we're eating. Just if you have the vinegar drink before, the pasta spike or whatever other food spike will be 30% smaller. That means less inflammation, slower aging, less creation of the addiction roller coaster and benefiting your physical and mental health. It's quite powerful. Yet again, when I discovered all this science, I, I thought to myself, well, it's kind of interesting because vinegar has been around for forever, right? We, I mean, vinegar is just a staple of most kitchens. We all probably have a bottle of vinegar in our kitchen. And it's been touted as you know, a health remedy for centuries. It's been used for a very long time. And now we understand why it's so beneficial. And I love that part of the science, understanding how modern science and technology is helping us understand ancient wisdom. So that's really cool. So a tablespoon of vinegar before a meal, it can be any type of vinegar. Uh, just avoid the very syrupy balsamic vinegar because that one has some extra sugar in it. But, you know, apple cider, white wine, cherry vinegar, rice vinegar, whatever you want. And um, if you don't want to drink it, that's fine. You can also drizzle it on your food or have it in a tea or in a mocktail. You can do lots of stuff. So it has the same effect if you're drizzling it over your salad versus if you're just drinking. Yes, ma'am. Wow, that's awesome. And are you, do you, in your, in your book, in your um, cookbook that I was reading recently, you talk about kind of carrying this water bottle with you. Is that something that you, like you take it with you to restaurants or how does that work? You can, there's lots of different ways of getting vinegar into your day. And so you can have a water bottle um, and just put a tablespoon in it and just sip it throughout the day. If you're at the restaurant, you can ask the waiter for some vinegar. They usually have some. And this is a cool tool, especially when you're gonna have a meal that's high in sugars or starches, that's gonna be most beneficial. Having some vinegar before you know a spinach salad 
is not going to have that big of an impact because the spinach salad doesn't contain that much glucose. It's still helpful and it's still great for your body, but it's going to be less powerful. And to me, these, you know, these hacks and these tools are a little bit like, I don't know, like gentle giants, like little fairy godmothers that we place in our day and then we can do whatever we want and we feel better and we we're more in partnership with our with our bodies and they're not crazy asks they're like they're fine you know everybody's like oh i can do that which is probably what you've seen so many people have success let's talk about the food order because you mentioned a veggie starter this is very interesting science as well so here's how the scientific studies go they give people the exact same meal okay exact same foods let's say it can, the meal contains broccoli, chicken, rice, and a cookie. And they see that in the people who eat these foods in a specific order versus eating them in whatever order, they can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by up to 75%. So two people can eat the exact same meal, but if one of them eats those foods in a specific order, the spike is slashed. Eating the same quantity, everything is the same. And the best order that achieves this very cool uh, feat is veggies first, proteins and fats second, and starches and sugars last. So veggies first, so for instance, in our example, that would be the broccoli first, then proteins and fats. So the chicken here, there's no fats, then the starches and sugars. So then the rice and then the cooking. And by doing this order, and this is quite easy to do next time you're faced with a meal, just start with the veggies you're harnessing the power of a wonderful substance called fiber and fiber exists in vegetables. That's why we eat them first, because when fiber is the first thing in our system, it has time to create this protective mesh in our digestive system that then prevents glucose molecules from arriving and passing through too quickly into our bloodstream. So we're harnessing this wonderful natural substance, that most of us don't eat enough of, by the way. Yeah. And this is extremely powerful on satiety, on cravings, like how you feel after eating is completely changed. And an easy way to extrapolate this science, because often it's not easy to like separate your meal out and do, okay, veggies first, blah, 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 blah. It can be a bit cumbersome. And by the way, you don't have to wait between the foods. You can just eat them just in order. What I recommend is that people just focus on the veggie starter concept. So at the beginning of your meal, have a plate of vegetables. And if there weren't any vegetables in your meal to begin with, add this plate of vegetables and have it at the beginning. They can be raw, they can be cooked, you can dress them with some proteins and fats and dressings and that at the beginning of your meal and then eat whatever you want. Have you started to notice that in places like, cause when I go to, to, to France or Italy or things like that, I mean, I'm eating croissants in the morning. I'm doing like all the things. Have you started to notice any sort of shift with what you're kind of educating people on in some like European countries? Absolutely. France has been a very, very big country for my books. People are super interested in this. It's been a great success. And also, you know, I was talking about this modern science meets ancient wisdom concept. So in France, we have this concept it's called crudité, which is raw veggies at the beginning of a meal. And so people relate immediately. They're like, oh, yeah, my grandmother used to do that. Like, we always used to do that. That makes sense. It's, it's very easy to bring back into your life. Or in Italy, antipasti at the beginning of your meal. That's usually vegetables, grilled vegetables, for example. So I think in Europe, people are really aware and attuned to the fact that these principles are just cultural common sense that we've forgotten about, that we've kind of, you know, disregarded, that we don't do anymore because... We're navigating a crazy food landscape full of sugar and processed foods and bottles of orange juice that tell us, you know, good for you, healthy energy. So it's a bit coming, it's a bit like coming back to basics. Yes, absolutely. Which is, you know, even in, in India, what I'm noticing with people, they've kind of gotten away from all of like the Ayurvedic teachings and everything are actually very much in alignment with, you know, what we consider to be healthy these days. And it's like my hope too, that it will kind of come back to ancient wisdom and come back to basics there as well. So it's exciting to see. I think so. Because, you know, with, with industrialization and, and just the creation of these food products that at the beginning were very excited because that meant that people had to cook less at home, which was a huge, 
a gain of time, but the pendulum has swung so far to the point where we forgot all common sense about food. And I think now it's starting to swing back. Uh, I think we definitely are seeing like kind of this questioning. People are like, okay, the way we're eating is not good. And so you have now all these different factions of all these different diets being created out of this realization, by the way, that just the modern way of eating is not good. And you know what all these diets and factions have in common? They just reduce processed foods. And that's why most of them are helpful. It's because no matter how much they hate each other, they all have a very similar concept and principle, which is stop eating processed food, eat real food. And so whether you're doing like Whole30 or keto or paleo or vegan, whatever, you're kind of all eating the same stuff. You're staying away from these packaged foods. Gosh, it's so true. It's like, it sounds so simple and basic. Just eat real food, get some sleep, have joy. But it's hard. <laughs> I know. Because and it's not bite-sized enough. It's not clear enough. And I think that's where the hacks come into play because it's not just vague, like, oh, just eat better, exercise more. It's actually yeah. much more specific. And so it's easier to start doing it. Yeah. And what I love, and again, is so empowering about your work and what you're educating with these hacks is someone can immediately feel a difference, right? Yeah. Like so much of wellness is like, it takes time and, mm. you know, you need to put in the work every day. And I love that when it comes to managing blood sugar and all these hacks you're saying, you immediately feel a difference right afterwards. And I'm curious, you know, one of the things that you also mentioned in your book is, you know, movement after eating. I think when mm. people sometimes hear movement, they're like, oh gosh, like, do I need to go for a walk for an hour? You know, what does this look like? Do but I need to go to the oh, gym? Yeah. 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 Well, that's another common, like ancient wisdom thing, walking after meals. I mean, so many cultures have that habit. And science is now showing us that if you move for 10 minutes after a meal, and it can be just walking, it can be cleaning your kitchen, it can be dancing to your favorite songs, it can be doing calf raises at your desk, well, it's going to reduce the spike of that meal. And that's because when our muscles are contracting, they need glucose for energy, like every other part of the body from the brain to the heart. And the first place your muscles look for energy is in the food you just ate. They look for glucose in the bloodstream. And so if you use your muscles within, I was going to say within tiny minutes, within 90 minutes of the end of a meal, that contraction is going to reduce the spike of the meal. So you can still eat the thing you're going to eat, but by adding this movement, you will see a significant quick impact, as you were saying, Yasmin, on how you're feeling. Energy will be higher, cravings will be reduced. Those are usually the two first things to change, cravings and energy. And then you're like, oh, I get it now. That food coma is probably because I was getting a big spike after my meal. Oh my gosh, which is like how I lived for so long. Go, go ahead. Go. Oh, same, same. Same here. And same. still sometimes, like the past two years, just having being a new mom, like you feel that, like, oh, okay, just eating whatever mac and cheese or whatever she's having. Um, do you have any stories that you can share of women who have PCOS? Because PCOS is something that we see a lot with our community. And it's sometimes not always called diabetes of the ovaries. So what's happening in PCOS? And can you tell us some stories maybe there? Absolutely. I get a lot of the PCOS stories. I actually got one today. Um, so it turns out that it, in most cases of PCOS, not in all cases, but in most cases of PCOS, what you see is that the female body has a lot of insulin in it. And insulin is a hormone that is sent out by our body to help reduce glucose levels when glucose levels are too high all the time. It turns out we're now starting to understand from a scientific perspective that this excess insulin has an impact on our ovaries. Specifically, it tells our ovaries to produce more testosterone, the male sex hormone. The more insulin you have in your body, the more your ovaries are going to produce testosterone, you, the more you're going to start to see this imbalance, more testosterone versus fewer female hormones in a female body. And that usually leads to many symptoms like missed periods, cystic ovaries, hair growth on the face, balding on the head, acne, etc., which is which are the most common PCOS symptoms that we know of. So what's interesting is that often when you have PCOS, the, the treatment is to take the pill. And the pill, why does it work? Because the pill increases how many female hormones are in the body. The pill is literally just female hormones. 
And so you're getting that balance back up. And so the symptoms dissipate. And this can be very helpful um, in the short term, you know, as you're as you're trying to just get everything working again. But ultimately, what you need to address is the underlying issue of that excess testosterone that is caused by all that insulin. And so how do we get the insulin down? Well, I told you the insulin is a response to glucose spikes. So you reduce the glucose spikes. And then insulin doesn't have to be that high anymore because glucose isn't that high anymore. And so naturally, insulin re reduces, testosterone reduces, and symptoms can dissipate. This is a really interesting area of study, I think, because PCOS is becoming more and more and more and more and more common. And it's not genetic. Okay, we, we understand that it's now a disease of lifestyle. And by balancing your glucose levels, reducing those spikes, you're putting all the chances on your side, you're stacking all the odds in your favor that you're going to be able to get rid of those symptoms naturally. So in terms of stories, I get a lot of uh, women who got off the pill, tried to have a baby, and then they're like, I'm not ovulating. I don't have my period. And the pill for all those years was masking PCOS. And so when they get off the pill, they're like, oh my God, I have PCOS. <laughs> and it can be very stressful, very scary, of course. But the good news is these hacks are very helpful. Uh, and so in my last book, I, I ran this pilot study on 3,000 people who implemented the hacks for four weeks. And in those four weeks, in those 3,000 people, three women who were going to start IVF and were being told they were never going to get pregnant naturally got pregnant. So that's the kind of stuff you can see. And it's so cool. So if you're somebody struggling with this, you know, maybe give it a go, give it a month before starting medication or fertility stuff, because this can often really help. And it might be the cause, not all the time, but it might be. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we hear a lot of stories like this also at BIA. And I know, you know, we have this seed cycling protocol and, you know, we've kind of dug into the research of certain seeds and it does have a, you know, blood sugar balancing effect because I guess of the fiber, right? And it's like some of these, just going back to the concept of eating real food and obviously, you know, eating well, managing your blood sugar, but we've seen so many women be like, I don't feel my PCOS symptoms. And it's like, just going back to the basics of eating well. And of course, like Bia is a high fiber, um, kind of like food supplement, you would say, but it's really amazing just to see how people can reverse, you know, whether it's PCOS or in my case, horrible hormonal imbalances coming off birth control. I had my own cystic acne, horrible PMS. I mean, it was, it was really bad, but managing my blood sugar was huge, huge in that. And, you know, eating fiber rich foods is a, a portion of it. So it's just really cool to see in your pilot study, just like the impact that you're making and cool that you saw someone, women get pregnant. And this is, I'm going off a tangent, but what I'm so passionate about is, you know, there's so many women that we see too, like you, you get off birth control, you want to start having kids and you're like, this isn't working. And it's like, how do we have these conversations much earlier in your reproductive journey? So you're not off birth control and you're having to scramble and learn about your body when hopefully this is something that you can think about much earlier on. But it's amazing to see that you can make a shift and help yourself become more fertile through practices like this. You can. And I think on the topic of birth control, things are definitely changing. When I was a teenager, it was like, well, you're 14, get on the pill, you know, just because maybe you're going to have sex at some point. <laughs> it's like, well, you're, you're a 14 year old girl here. And now we're understanding that those hormones have a, have a real impact. Um, so no, it's great what both of you are doing. And it's really, the conversation is, is very much needed. So it's really cool. And it gives me so much hope and joy to see actually how much agency we have. If we, if we only knew the information this whole time, if I only had the information, you know, I was in the dark for 10 years, it was a nightmare. So really the question here, yeah, most people. So the question here is like, how do we get this information to people faster? And I, I would love for like the hacks and this information to be taught in schools. You know, I want to become completely irrelevant, redundant, useless. I want everybody to know about this so that I don't have a job anymore. That's the goal because this should be known. This should be like brush your teeth, drink water, wear sunscreen. We should know these things. And that's that's really the, the battle we're fighting. So thanks for being part of it. And on that topic, you know, I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day. He's a cardiologist. So he's working with a lot of people who have diabetes and prediabetes. And I think something that's still so infuriating to me is that nobody is taught that they could reverse 
what their body, in some cases they can't, obviously type one diabetes is a different situation, but um, especially for people who have prediabetes, there are so many situations where people are like, okay, you know, your numbers are getting like looking a little high, you know, just keep an eye on this. No, that is not the advice to give somebody in that situation. Like you said, we have the power to control these things in many situations. So um, I think what I want to know from you is like, what is your hope? I, you mentioned you want to, you, like, I want to become irrelevant in this. I want everybody to, to teach this. What do you think it's going to take for, you know, physicians and people in the medical world to actually empower their patients who are borderlining on diabetes to say like, Hey, these are the things that you can do starting today. Well, I always come back to the fact that doctors were trained to diagnose and treat diseases. That's, that's what they're amazing at. They're amazing at surgeries and things like that. But when it comes to prevention, when it comes to lifestyle change, that is just simply not what they studied. It's not their fault. It's just not in the program. So my hope is that, and this is actually what's happening around the world, so it's really cool, but that physicians who are dealing with people who have type 2 or prediabetes, they are like, okay, here, dear patient, like you're bordering a little bit. You can do these simple things that are going to help put this in remission or reverse it before it's too late. Listen, I think it's changing slowly. I think that my work of getting this science to the general public and to these health practitioners to empower them to give their patients advice because if the doctors knew they would tell their patients doctors are trying to keep their patients alive and healthy it's a matter of access to the information i think and to, to education to be honest the doctors are not maliciously keeping this information away that's just not how the sessions with the patients go and they have so much work. It's such a difficult job. So my hope is just partnership. I think that's the best way forward. I think for physicians and doctors to, to partner and to get information from those of us who are really specialized in behavior change and nutrition and food and science, I think that's the way forward. And it's happening all across the world, by the way. I see amazing doctors every day that use my work and my graphics and my books to, to help their patients. So from where I'm standing, it's quite hopeful because things are changing a lot, but surely they're not changing fast enough. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the topic of wearables is also exploding. A lot of people have access to them, but still they're not accessible to everyone. Um, you see companies like Levels and different ones where people have a continuous glucose monitor where you can actually see if you're having these spikes. You're see, you can see if you're on a blood sugar roller coaster. But again, not hopefully one day everybody will be able to have access for very cheap, but not yet. So in the meantime, you mentioned some before, but if somebody's listening to you and they're like, could this be me? How can they use the wisdom of their body, their inner doctor to kind of think like, okay, am I having what she's talking about? Am I having these glucose spikes? Well, take a little survey of how you're feeling. Are you having cravings? Are you chronically fatigued? Is brain fog something you're familiar with? Are you hungry all the time? Could you feel better than you currently do? It's a very simple question. Is your skin showing you some signs that something is going on within? Are your hormones out of whack? Or is PCOS in your life? Are you having difficult menopause symptoms? Are you just having difficult P uh, PMS? The list goes on and on. But I like coming back to this question, which is, could you feel better than you currently do? And if that's the case, balancing your glucose levels is a very important place to start. And it can unlock so many, so many doors. It can solve so many things because it's at the root of so much. Um, and yeah, I agree with you, you know, on the wearables, it's just too expensive right now. And I don't want people to think or, or mistake what I'm saying. I don't want people to think that I'm saying that you need a, a glucose monitor in order to, to make change and see results. By using the hacks in a matter of a couple of days, you're going to feel a difference for sure. And checking in with yourself and just observing your energy levels and your cravings is actually fairly simple. You don't really need a machine to tell you whether you're having a craving, like, you know, <laughs> you know, the craving is happening. So I, I think as long as you have some self-awareness of energy levels, and if you're having, if you're craving a lot of sugar throughout the day, you're going to be able to assess that this is working for you. And Jesse, I believe in the pilot that you did with a few thousand people, no one was wearing glucose monitors, right? It was strictly based on how they're feeling. No, nobody was wearing a glucose monitor. Yeah. I, I, I sent them a questionnaire at the end of every week. 
asking about cravings and energy and happiness. <laughs> so no, no CGMs. I mean, I'm sure some people were wearing CGMs, but it was not at all um, part of it. And if you are wearing a CGM, I would say it's very important to get enough information so that you don't freak out about the small spikes that don't matter, so that you understand what you're looking at. Uh, and so if you're wearing a CGM, have a look through my Instagram, just sort of familiarize yourself with all of these concepts so you can identify it better or better, you know, get my books as more information in there. But even with the free content on my Instagram, you can get a good idea of what's happening because I receive so many messages of people who have a glucose monitor and who are freaking out because they're asking, oh my God, I was at 95, now I'm at 98, now I'm at 91, like, am I dying? <laughs> Those numbers are scary when you don't know what they mean. So if you are wearing a CGM, make sure you have information and education around it so that it doesn't turn into something stressful that you don't understand. A hundred percent. And I love what you said about just paying attention. Could I feel better than I feel right now? All of that. I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of us have kind of stepped away from the intuition and everything that's going on in our body. But at the end of the day, your body is the smartest doctor in the room and it'll tell you how it feels based on just what you do. So I, I love that in the pilot study, we're asking people these questions, right? Because often we don't even ask ourselves like, oh, how was my energy? How did I feel after I ate that? Like those types of things can be very important. And also, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, but I've noticed this in my own life is managing my blood sugar has helped my sleep. Uh, do you, have you seen that kind of shift for people and like, what might happen if you're not eating in the right way, you have a blood sugar spike and you go directly to sleep, which, you know, it's so easy to do. You have that dessert. You're not eating in the right order. You go to sleep. Um, would love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I understand because I'm often, often it's dinner time and I just want to eat all the carbs because I just had a intense day I'm like I want to watch Netflix eat pasta and chocolate ice cream and everybody leave me alone <laughs> so I totally I totally get it but it's important to know that if you're suffering from poor sleep for a long time going to bed after a big glucose spike can make your sleep less restorative less restful and less deep so you know if it's once in a while it's fine but if you're chronically feeling like i need to fix my sleep balancing your glucose levels is again a very important pillar a very important place to start you mentioned before that somebody would have to pay you maybe millions and millions of dollars to have a sweet okay, not millions <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah but you know i get it um along those lines we've been doing a, a question with uh, everybody that we're speaking with on the podcast which is something that i saw on tiktok which is what are three things that you're like, I will not do this to my body. You mentioned the sweet breakfast, but what are some other things that you're like, you know specifically, what? Specifically, it's orange, it's fruit juice. Like I will not, I will not, I, I just cannot because to me, it's just, it's just a Coke. I can't, like I, I actually can't. When you know what it is, you just can't. So three things I won't do to my body. Is that the question? Okay, so fruit juice. Oh my God, I have a good one. You know that horrible electric gym thing? Oh my God. Okay, so there's this trend where you go to the gym and they, they strap you into this harness thing. Yeah, and then they put all these electrodes on you and it stimulates with electricity your muscles as you're working out. No. <laughs> there's a no. street that does that. I'm like, what is this? No, it is horrible i mean i know people love it i tried it for two minutes i was like get this off me my whole body was having a full-on panic attack it was horrible horrible um okay and lastly so that one's a big no um uh, one last thing i wouldn't do to my body um blam 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 this is kind of off topic i think but i stopped waxing i grew up thinking that you had to wax all the time and then i was like why why am I putting my body through all this pain? Like, why? So I started shaving and said, I'm like, this is actually way better. So that pain thing, I just don't want to do anymore. I want to be kind to my body. It's so horrible. Oh, your poor body. Well, the life of like a Indian woman, you can't, you yeah. can't escape that. You can't <laughs> the escape it. The waxing, you can't escape oh, it. <laughs> laser? Are you doing laser? That's, yeah, lasers. Lasers are good. Mm. Yeah. From the Persian woman. You know, I'm curious, Jesse, 
What are your thoughts on oat milk, oat lattes, oat cappuccinos, all things? So change of topic, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Pivot. From waxing to oat milk lattes. Okay. My, my mind is still on what do I personally hate I'm thinking about. So I'm, I was just on a tangent. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. okay. You hate oat milk? Good. I hate, I don't like oat milk either. I really don't like the taste, which is good because oat milk is just liquid starch. So oats are grain and grains are starch. And so when you're having oat milk, you're having, it's like you're, it's like you're making like pasta juice or rice juice or grain juice. So just, just be mindful that that milk, quote unquote milk, it contains a lot of glucose molecules. And so most people it leads to massive glucose spike. A much better option is nut milk. So almond milk, coconut milk, macadamia milk, pistachio milk. Although be careful because most of them have added sugars in them, which is another nightmare. Or just whole milk if you can handle dairy because whole milk has protein and healthy fats. So that's a good place to start. But because I do meet a lot of people who really love oat milk, a few things you can do to reduce the spike. Have it after breakfast instead of before. Go for a little walk afterwards. And if you're having it on an empty stomach, grab five almonds before you have it. That will help. And by grab, I mean eat. Yeah. <laughs> Just grab them. Just... <laughs> wow, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, I feel like for a lot of people, the, the, they love they love the taste of oat milk lattes. They love like that creaminess. So if you're listening to this and you make your coffee at home, hemp milk is equally as creamy and delicious. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're running up on like just four minutes left, but we want to ask you, our final question is, what is a day of, you're traveling so much, but you know, let's say you're steady in one place. Like what does a day of eating look like for you? Well, you, you guessed it, savory breakfast. Um, I, I love making uh, a little omelet with some cherry tomatoes and feta and some harissa sauce with some chili. It's really nice in the morning. I, and I make it like a crepe in the pan very thin it's in my book to the recipe and then i'll have coffee and then i'll just work maybe for like because you stay so full after breakfast every breakfast that maybe i'll work you know for four or five hours and then lunch i usually go out have a nice salad somewhere you know eat whatever's around of course if i'm gonna have something starchy i'm, I'm gonna have a vinegar drink for sure and then what's easy after lunch that i find is to, to walk or to keep moving so I know that whatever I'm eating during lunch is going to be reduced by the movement afterwards. And then dinner, I love eating carbs at dinner. So I'll have a veggie starter. So I'll tell you what I had tonight. So I chopped up, I chopped up a zucchini uh, in little slices. I fried it in the pan with some butter. Super good, just some sea salt, super simple. And then I had some pasta with pesto and Parmesan, two eggs. And uh, yeah, that's it. So veggie starter, I actually had some more vinegar tonight as well. And I kind of like just make it happen. My only real tradition is my savory breakfast omelets when I'm home and I can do it. That's really what I love the most. But otherwise, you know, what's cool about the hacks is that you can just exist and you're fine. And usually if I come across something sweet I want to eat during the day, like a nice cookie or from a bakery shop or something, I'll keep it for dessert after dinner instead of having it on that empty stomach. Uh, in the middle of the afternoon. That's a good hack as well. That all sounds so doable. It's, you know, it's just real. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us. I think people are going to get so much actionable tips from this. I know I already feel inspired right now and thinking through my day of what I want to eat, but thank you so much for joining us. And your book is out now, right? Everywhere. Yes, The Glucose okay. Goddess Method. And that's the four-week uh, plan or guide to studying your glucose levels and I also just launched something I'm really excited about. I just launched a recipe club. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Wow. If you go to the link in my profile on Instagram, glucose goddess, you'll find it. But, um, I'm sharing my 10 favorite recipes of the month with people oh. because you always need more yeah. ideas. Yes. And this feels, I'm really excited about this project. It feels mm -hmm. really good. I made it super, super cheap. So it's extremely accessible just because I want to spread more glucose study recipes in the world. So yeah. 
Amazing. And your recipes are great. They're accessible. They're easy to do. Like yes. I don't get intimidated by them, which is what I love. So I'm excited about the recipe club. Mm-hmm. Six ingredients or less. And my idea for all my recipes is that once you read it once, you never have to look at the recipe again. Because it's so easy. I love that. Well, we'll share all of this in our Yay. show notes. It was yeah. so good having you, Jesse. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.